0: we worship you there's no other god like you oh jesus be lifted up our sovereign king There's 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 power there's power in your name there's power there's power in your name there's power Power in your name, there is power. Oh, it's power. It's power in your name, there's power. It's oh, power. power in your name, there's power. It's power in your name. Oh, it's power, see? It's power in your name, there's power. It's power, oh, power, power in your name, there's power. It's power in your name, Lord. Oh, every voice is power. this power in Your name. There's power. this power in Your name. There's power. this power, power, power in Your name. Oh Lord. Oh, come on, let's prepare. To prepare our hearts for worship today. We meet with You, Lord. hold on i must say Come on, it's not that the spirit's not ready, it's that we're not ready or we're not focused. Come on, let's get there right now. It's our battle cry today. It's our heart today. Oh, come on, let's get there. Oh, let's put our hearts ready to receive his spirit. Oh, ready to be in the presence of the Lord. Hold on, I'm to say. Go on and We get the Lord be with us today. We'll be with you today. We'll out to you, Lord. Sing letter A. The uh-huh. Pour your spirit out on us, oh God, Pour spirit on us, oh God, we're not alone, we're not alone, we're not alone, you live with us, you live with us, oh power I'm just a little
1: a difference the anointing makes. What a difference the anointing makes. We can't do it without the anointing. I just want to say something before we continue to pray. But wherever this song came from was the right song for yesterday's second service altar call. Just want everybody to hear this, okay? Imagine if second service altar call If that song would have went off, just one touch, one touch, one touch from you. I'm telling you guys, this is what God is using to prepare you for this out here. Are you all tracking with me? Now, I want us to sing it one more time, but for us now, I just had to say that because I wanted to encourage the band because they had to repent yesterday because I sat them down I said, we will not accept that. We will not accept that at a time of prayer. But when I just came up here, it was like one touch. We just came in from fellowshipping. It just rocked me. I'm just in moments. I'm in the presence of God right now, feeling the anointing, sensing God. And I just wanted to encourage you. That's what we do in church, amen? We have to take S-U-M. It's not for su sake. We don't just graduate and keep doing this. We're doing this so that out here on a Sunday morning, lives can get changed, and it's just one touch, My entire message is summed up in that thing. One touch. Just one moment with the King. That's a prayer life. Just touching Jesus. So for all of us here, let's just get that one touch right now from God. Let's just stretch forth our hands with our faith. Lift up our hearts with our voices. Come on and sing it out. Oh, Jesus, one touch. Just one touch. Just one touch. That's all I need, Lord. Would you touch my life today? Make the dead things come alive. The parts that are barren, have them bear fruit. The places, God, where I'm empty. Make me full. Oh, God. It's one touch, one touch, one touch. Jesus. touch from you. It's just one, one touch. It's one touch. It's one touch from you. It's one, one, touch, one, touch, one touch, one touch, one touch. I just want one touch. can I add to this I just want one moment just one moment just a moment with the king and I just want one moment just one moment one moment with the king come on I just want one moment one moment one moment with the king hallelujah today god we just want to be with you today jesus we want to get closer to you than we ever have before would you bless this time god you know lord that we're strapped in by this time schedule but these words we're singing are the cry of our heart just one touch everything is changed just one moment with the king like esther the people can be changed Just one moment with you, we can intercede for our family. We can intercede for a nation. In one moment, God, lives can change. Do it today. God bless Pastor Mike as he comes. Bless his church and his ministry, Lord, his family. And let every student here be raised up for your glory. In your precious name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we bless the Lord? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. man, why don't you find your way back to your seat? I won't take up any time. Let's fill up these first couple of rows right here. Pastor Mike, uh, would you come forward? He started a church three weeks ago after a year of planning. Moody graduate. Uh, he's awesome. Man of God's give it up for Mike Pilecki. Pastor Mike, sorry about that. Pastor Mike Pilecki, here
2: he is. Good morning, guys. Man, I am so geeked up about being able to speak to college folks today. You just don't know. As a pastor, it's so hard, especially if you love um, the intellectual side of the Bible and you love those intellectual arguments for Christianity. You got to speak to church folks every week, and sometimes it can be annoying. You know that? Because church folks, when you go a little too heavy, when you come a little too hard, when you come a little too intellectual, They say, Pastor, you're going over my head. I don't understand what you're saying. And my usual response to them is, you know what, if I'm going over your head, you need to stretch your neck. You need to stretch your neck because um, Christianity is an intelligent, thinking man's and women's uh, religion. There are reasons for what we believe. So that's what I want to talk about, though, is I want to talk about today the idea and the concept of truth. And there was this man who received a phone call from his wife just as she was about to fly home from a trip to Europe. And she asked her husband, she goes, how's my cat? And her husband replied, he died falling off the roof. And she's like, oh, dear, said the wife. She goes, why'd you have to say it like that? Why didn't you break the news to me slowly? Now you've ruined my trip home. What do you mean, the husband asked. And then she replies, well, when I first called, you could have told me that he was on the roof. And when I called you from London, you could have told me he fell off the roof and was hurt. Then when I arrived and called you from New York, you could have told me he was at the vent. And then when I arrived home, then you could have told me he was dead. So, you know, the husband, always willing to learn, says, okay, dear, I'll do better next time. So then she goes, by the way, how's my mom? And he goes, you know, there's a slight pause, and husband uh, she's on the roof. <laughs> uh, you know, guys, truth, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you serve it, it remains the same. It's always true. It's always true. Yet today, guys, people have a tough time with the concept of truth. In fact, 81% of the unchurched and 59% of the church population Reject the idea of absolute truth. That is amazing. That is an incredible and a sad statistic, guys. And most Americans believe that truth is relative to the situation and to the individuals involved. And you know what, guys? It's even worse for our youth. 91% of teens today, 91% claim that nobody can know for sure whether or not there's truth, whether or not actual truth exists. 91%. So in other words, what's true for you might not be true for me. We've all heard that, haven't we? Oh, well, that's great. I'm so glad you're a Christian. You think Jesus is the way to God. That's good for you. Don't we hear that? When we tell our friends, especially when we first get saved, we tell them, yeah, you should know about my Jesus. Oh, that's great. They they pat us on the shoulder like like we're little immature kids. Great job. That's great for you. That's great for you, child. You know, I'm here at this other level, at this other plane. It's not true for me, though. But is that correct? Is it true that what's true for you is not necessarily true for me? Is, can truth be known? Is it possible for us to know absolute truth? And we're going to get a little deep today, guys. And I am so happy because we're going to get deep and we're going to get hot and heavy with the Word of God, and I am excited. And you know what, though? Even in my own life, there's times when I, I question truth, and I sometimes I hide in those gray areas Um, not taking a stand for truth as I should. You know, kind of hiding in those gray areas, especially when it comes to some church issues, and you know, you don't want to offend people, so you kind of hide in those gray areas of truth, and it's a a kind of a cowardly way to do it. And sometimes, I got to admit, sometimes I do fall into that that realm. Um, And I'm sure even with some of you guys here today, there's times where you question things that are true, and you might accept things that are false, and there might be a times especially with the barrage of, of people not accepting absolute truth, where you might even say, you know what, maybe it's true. What's true for them is not necessarily true for me. Those doubts, those questions might come into your mind. Um, but the Bible declares the truth is something that can be known. And we can know what truth is if we really want to. If you really want to know the truth, you can know it. And there's ways for us to know absolute truth in this culture that believes truth is all relative and cannot be fully known. There is ways to know truth, and we're going to learn that today. We're going to have truth detectors at the end of this sermon, all right? You're going to know how to determine truth when you leave here today. So what are some ways, guys, that we can know truth in a world that denies truth? That's our question. How can we know truth in this world that denies truth? How is it possible? I want you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 26 we're going to be in verse 59 through 66 then i want you to put your finger on john 18 33 through 34 and we're gonna we're gonna go through both of those today so i'm gonna ask if somebody could read my matthew 26 verses and if somebody else can read my john 18 verses Let me get John 18, 33 through 40 for me. Here, guys, what we're seeing is we're seeing um, probably one of the most important discussions on truth that was ever in human history right here at this trial, where we see Jesus on trial for his life because he was teaching some truths that people didn't like. And we're going to look at these two separate trials that Jesus had that led him eventually to the cross because there were two separate trials. There was the religious trial, first of all, and then there was the civil trial. And both of those verses covered both of those trials. And from that, we're going to be able to draw out truth and figure out how to determine truth in this world. All right. So let's look at a little context first. The the religious trial before the Jewish ruling council, that's the first trial. And notice that this occurred at nighttime. Now, nighttime is not the best time for a trial. Right. It's not the best time where you're going to get the most open witnesses over there. This is undercover. This is, this is sneaky type business. All right. And, and what was, who were the people on this council? It was this group of 71 men, and they were made up of the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. And they served the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. These 71 men served as judge and jury on religious matters for the Jewish people. So this was the judge and jury. These were leading priests, teachers of the law. Elders, and Caiaphas was the chief priest at the time. And these people were judge and jury on religious matters. And in verse 65 and 66, they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy when he declared himself to be the Christ, the Son of God, being equal to God. The, the chief priest said he's committed blasphemy, and the council then agreed with that and said the verdict is death. They gave him a death verdict for this. Which rightfully so, because according to Jewish law, blasphemy equaled death. So for Jesus, uh, or for, for what they were saying against Jesus, it was true. Except that Jesus was not speaking blasphemy. Jesus was speaking the truth. They just couldn't recognize that truth. And notice in John 18:31, it's they couldn't execute Jesus. That's why they had to go to Pilate. They couldn't execute Jesus because Jerusalem at the time was under Roman rule. And only the Roman governor had the power to execute people. The Jewish people could declare according to their court, yes, he's worthy of death, but only Rome could give the final approval and say, okay, you can put him to death. Do you guys follow what I'm saying? It's sort of like a Sharia-type law. You know, we, we, we don't subjugate ourselves to Sharia law, but in some countries they say the Sharia law, the, the, the Muslims have their Sharia law, and then they go to the local um, authorities they need to get permission sometimes to carry out in certain countries some of their laws It's the same thing here, the same type of concept. So they had to go to Rome. They had to go to Roman authorities and get approval now to carry out this execution. Now, in this civil trial was before the Roman authorities. The second half of what we're talking about is a civil trial before the Roman authorities. And by now, the Bible tells us that it was early in the morning when this is happening. And it was conducted by Pontius Pilate. You all know about Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He resided in Caesarea. But what he would do is that he would come over to Jerusalem, during the time, like this is the Passover, he would come to Jerusalem during this time because there would be many people in Jerusalem. Uh, nationalistic fervor would be strong among the Jewish people during this time. And what, what um, Pontius Pilate would do is he would have Roman, uh, by him being there, he was showing Roman authority by saying, you know what, you might have your, evan- your, your nationalistic fervor, you might want independence, but Rome still rules. So it was a political power play. Him being in Jerusalem at this time, um, and and in verse thirty-one and in verse thirty-eight, notice that he never found Jesus guilty of any crime b- by Roman law, and he attempted to evade responsibility for that by saying, "Take him away and judge him by your own laws," meaning a trial is not necessary. Jesus is not a threat, at least according to his interpretation towards rome jesus is not a threat to the roman people to the roman government take him away and judge him by his own law Pilate at this time was ready to dismiss the case and say not guilty he was ready to do that but in verse 39 to 40 he allowed jesus's execution because of the pressure from the crowd who chose barabbas and barabbas was a resistance fighter who killed a roman soldier and they said for him to go free and not for jesus you all know this um they were The people at the time were disappointed because Jesus did not match up to what their idea of a Messiah was. Their idea of a Messiah was somebody who's going to come in and overthrow the Roman Empire and revitalize the Jewish nation again so it's once again a great, strong, ruling nation. That's what they thought. And when Jesus came and said, no, I'm not here to do that, they were upset and they were disappointed. So because that nationalistic fervor is so high in Jerusalem at the time, They chose a freedom fighter, a, quote, freedom fighter, who would help get them out from under Roman rule. So now I want us to see that Christ's trial shows us that to know truth, we must understand what truth is not. And this is in your notes. We're going to look at this trial, and we're going to determine, first of all, how to not know what truth is. These things are not indicators of truth. From looking at this trial, we can determine What is not truth? How not to define truth, okay? Now, first off, truth is not what is comprehensive. Truth is not what is comprehensive. And this is Matthew 26, verse 59, which means uh, that which has the most data, uh, that which is most thorough and effective in its presentation, giving the most information, is not necessarily true. I want you to notice in this trial, in verse 26, verse 59 in Matthew, it says um, the chief priests of Sanhedrin, what they did is that they, they conspired together to produce false evidence to put Jesus to death. They conspired together. They brought false evidence, and the Bible says many false witnesses, many false witnesses against Jesus. Their testimony was extensive, but their evidence was untrue. They tried saying Jesus wanted to take down the temple and rebuild it in three days, and they misconstrued everything what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about the building itself. He was talking about himself. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about him, that he would be you know, killed and raised up three days later. But they misconstrued everything they said. Many witnesses came forward, produced false evidence, but it was untrue. It was untrue. And we see the same thing today when you look at the idea of uh, evolution. Me personally, I don't think that I came from a monkey. Okay? I don't believe that. I don't know who who in this room maybe believes that. I don't think I came from a monkey. And yet, if you look at the evidence for, for evolution, there's a lot of it. Tons and tons and tons of evidence showing that evolution is true. But we've even found out that some of that evidence is false. Some of it evidence has even been faked throughout the years. Some of it's been faked. So we see that a view that explains the most and has the most data is not necessarily true. Let me say that one more time. A view that explains the most and has the most data is not necessarily true. A short view, a more concise view, can be more true than a long-winded, detailed one. You all know that? You all know that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a short statement. But within it, so much truth so much truth and it totally knocks out the park all that other stuff about evolution one of the most profound theological statements that i know it's so very simple jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so it's profound it's huge it's massive but it's short it's sweet and it's thick with truth you know so from that we can see that just because something is long-winded has a lot of evidence don't make it true okay second thing truth is not that which is coherent truth is not that which is coherent we're in matthew 26 verse 60 to 61 what i mean by coherency is that which is unified and consistent um understandable and comprehensive Uh, a unit of thought that is held together by by testimony or evidence is not necessarily true okay from the Bible, we see in this portion that two false witnesses came forward and testified before the religious court concerning Jesus' statement, destroyed the temple, and in three days I will build it up. Now, they were in agreement, and their story was consistent. Amen? The story was consistent. These two witnesses said the same thing. It was consistent, but they misrepresented his words, and they made it sound like something he never meant, which shows that just because you have a consistency of evidence and testimony does not make something true. We all know, uh, we ain't got nobody with family of cops in here, do we? Okay, I'm going I'm to lay it on the Chicago police for a minute, all right? I ain't too much of a fan of Chicago police because they had me many times like this, okay? But anyway, um, let me tell you, in Chicago, we have some, ki- we have some kind of um, cops that are sometimes corrupt. You guys know that? And um, there was this big thing about how they tortured people to get evidence out of them. And they sent many people to jail. I think the guy's name was uh, Burge or something like that. And they figured out that he sent hundreds of people to jail with falsified evidence, some using torture. But yet, he presented evidence. He had testimony against them, but it was untrue. And the same thing here, guys. A set of false statements can be internally consistent, but not necessarily true. It can be internally consistent, but not necessarily true. People can get together, present testimony, and be in agreement. But if they're all lying, the information that they present is false. You understand? If they're getting together and they're collaborating for a lie, it's untrue. It don't matter how many people come and present the evidence. If the evidence is false, it's untrue. Okay. Next, truth is not dependent upon our belief in it. Truth is not dependent upon our belief in it. In this portion, we're going to be in Matthew 26, 63 to 66. That means that truth doesn't need to be believed in to make it valid. Even if nobody believes in a truth, that does not turn the truth into a falsehood. So even if we believe, if this is the only group of Christians in the entire world left, that Metro Praise, S-U-M Chapel students are the only ones left here, everybody else is is turned away, that doesn't make you guys wrong. You know what I'm saying? It does not make you wrong. All right? It's not dependent upon other people's belief in it. Notice that the high priest Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, after asking Jesus if he was the Christ, if he was the Messiah, they didn't even consider believing that Jesus when he said yes. They didn't even consider that. They didn't even consider that. was They, they right away accused him of blasphemy. It didn't even come through their mind that maybe he was telling the truth. They couldn't believe that this illegitimate carpenter, mother, not even married, had this baby carpenter coming out of Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth, the Bible says, right? Coming out of Nazareth um, and wasn't out to overthrow Rome could be the Messiah. They didn't even consider that. So we see that no truth needs us to believe in it for it to be valid or real. Truth is truth whether we believe in it or not. Many people are wrong and just reject truth, but that doesn't falsify the truth, all right? Um, many people today don't believe in Christianity. It's become kind of kitschy and popular to be an atheist, you know? Um, Hitchens and Dawkins and all these other idiots with their, with their books that they bring out, you know? And they're, they're trying to bash Christianity and show the argument that God doesn't exist. You know, it's kind of kitschy, and they don't believe in God. But they're not believing in God doesn't falsify the belief that god exists that he still is there okay he's there whether anybody believes in him or not okay that's truth guys we don't need to have uh it's not dependent upon our belief in it all right whether if you walk out this room saying i don't believe in god no more guess what he still exists whether you believe in him or not all right next truth is not sincere intentions truth is not sincere intentions Because somebody believes something with all their heart does not make the belief true. It doesn't make the belief true. Now, the Jewish ruling council at the time truly thought they were doing God's work, and they truly thought that they were obeying the law. Um, They truly thought that they were protecting the Jewish nation. I don't think that these men were acting evil. What they did was evil, but I think in their hearts they thought they were doing something good. They were protecting, uh, they, they knew that Rome would put down violently any rebellion. So in their mind, they're protecting their people. They knew that they had to have a unified Jewish faith, so they were protecting their faith. They thought they were doing the right thing, but their sincere intentions didn't prove out to be correct. All right? Uh, um, Who would deny that Jehovah's Witnesses are not sincere in their belief? Come on. Who would deny that they're not sincere? Who would deny that a Muslim who prays five times a day is not sincere in their belief? Who would deny that? Who would deny that the Mormons coming here from Utah to Chicago and going out in teams of two riding through the west side with their shirt and ties? Who would deny? Who would deny that they are not sincere? But you know what, guys? All sincere statements are not true because some people are sincerely wrong. All sincere statements are not true because some people are sincerely wrong. Heartfelt belief based upon authentically motivated behavior does not make something true. Because you believe in it with all your heart does not make that true. Man, I'd love to believe in Santa Claus. I really would. Wouldn't it be cool if Santa Claus really existed? Man, that would be awesome, you know? guy coming by North Pole, you know, living there with all the elves. It looks so great and happy. I'd love for that to happen you know <laughs> but, but you know what it, it's not true and no matter how much I would love for it to be true it's not true so we know that sincere intentions does not truth make All right next truth is not what works or feels best truth is not what works or feels best in John 1839 we saw Pilate by giving Jesus over to the crowds and abdicating his responsibility to correctly administer justice which was his job um, found a solution that worked for him. For Pilate at the time, it worked. It worked for him. He, he was basically a politician, and he took the easiest way out. He wasn't looking for truth. He was looking for something that worked. All right? But truth is not what works best. Just because something works for the moment or even works personally for you does not make that true. All right? It doesn't make it true. Truth is not determined by our experience. Truth is not determined by our feelings, or truth is not determined by what is most expedient for us. Truth is not what works best. Sometimes the truth is the hardest thing to do, isn't it? So sometimes it's not easy to live out truth. So that's why we know truth is not what works best. All right? Now, finally, truth is not determined by the majority. Truth is not determined by the majority. We're in John 18, 40 on this one. Notice that on this portion of the trial, the large crowd of people called for the life of a criminal Barabbas and the death of an innocent man, Jesus. They chose a resistance fighter and a murderer over Jesus, and they did it by a vast majority of the people, correct? A vast majority of the people called for his death. But we know that truth is um, is not true based upon a majority opinion. You know, you always hear the statistics nowadays. Oh, the majority of people believe in abortion. majority of people in America believe that it's okay to kill an unborn child uh, as a form of reproductive rights. We always hear the statistics of that. And it, the way it is is that's to try to intimidate people to go along with the crowd. Oh, the crowd must be right, so you've got to go along with the crowd because then you're going to be on a, in a minority. And if you're in a minority, you can't possibly, your minority idea cannot possibly be correct. Come and join us with the majority. But we know that just because most people agree on a point does not make something true. The majority can and often is wrong. The majority can and often is wrong. Truth is not determined by a majority vote. The majority needs to discover truth and apply truth, not create truth. Let me say that again. The majority needs to discover truth and apply truth, not create truth. All right? That's how we determine and we understand what truth is not. And it's great to understand what truth is not, but now we need to determine what are tests for truth. How can we determine truth then? Because all we did was we took it from a negative now based upon this trial, and we said, okay, we know what truth is not. Now how do we determine truth then, Pastor Mike? How can we figure out what something is true? Well, to know truth, we got to very easily be able to define it guys we got to be able to define it and Pilate asked that question in john 18 38 he said what is truth right what is truth now i personally don't think that Pilate was sincere in asking his question i don't think he was because when he asked that question what he did is that he turned around and he walked away from jesus he did not wait for jesus to respond and give him an answer so he wasn't interested in finding out the truth but the irony of it The irony of it is that before him was the living embodiment of truth was Jesus Christ walking, talking, living truth. And he walked away. So let's answer that question for Pilate. Let's go back and we'll provide some sort of answer. What is truth? And guys, this is going to knock your socks off. This 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 definition, it's going to be like, whoa, I can't believe it. All right. It's going to be amazing. So get ready, okay? This is truth. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Very simple. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Truth is the representation of the way things are in the real world and how God created it. Correspondence means actually reflecting the facts of God's created world. If you go out there and you tell me that the sky is green, You don't have a grasp of reality, okay? If you leave out of here and you tell me that you're a fraud, you lost something with your reality quotient, okay? Something ain't right. You're not corresponding with reality. So I know what you're saying is not true. Truth corresponds with reality. And let me tell you a couple things about truth, guys. Truth takes us closer to God because the more we know truth, the more we know God because all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. uh, it's It's his creation. Truth is a creation of God. It's a reflection of who he is. So knowing truth is knowing God. The more truth you know, the more closer you are to the heart of God himself, the creator of all truth. All right? Also, truth provides us further revelation of truth because as truth unwraps itself inside, you will find even more deeper truth. You need me to say that again? I'll say it one more time for you, just in case you missed it. Truth provides us a further revelation of truth because as truth unwraps itself inside, you will find even more deeper truth. Truth is a well of discovery um, that never dries up. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Knowledge begets more knowledge, okay? Truth takes you deeper into other deeper truths. Truth is a wonderful thing, guys i hope you get geeked up because i'm 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 over here talking and i want to go home and i want to do some reading on some more truth i want to get myself deeper you know but um it truth gives you further revelation of truth so we want to get all the truth we can okay also truth creates a passion within us because you cannot truly believe in something without becoming excited about it it creates passion excitement The things that we're most passionate about are those things that we truly believe in our heart the most, ain't it? That's why you see some Christians more passionate about Jesus and the gospel than others. Especially those of us who maybe um, didn't grow up in the church. No offense to anybody who did. But those of us who didn't, we know what it's like to be on the other side. So when God crosses us over, takes our heart, and puts us in motion towards his kingdom, we get excited. We get passionate. We know what truth is. Because we know a falsehood is, is on the other side, you know. So truth creates a passion within us. It creates passion and excitement. And finally, it, truth brings about transformation. It brings about transformation because truth from God is always a truth that transforms. When we receive God's church, um, God's uh, truth, guys, we are changed. And we're changing a people who look more and more like him. Truth of God is truth that transforms. It changes when you enter into the realm of God's truth, you never come out the same. If you do come out the same, then you have not received the truth of God. It's that simple. It might have went in here, but it came out here. Okay? Truth of God is truth that transforms, truth that changes. But falsehood, guys, does not correspond with reality. Falsehood does not. It actually misrepresents things the way they are in the real world. Did you ever hear people arguing, especially like maybe... Um, parental issues and and you're like you know don't don't spank the child you know don't don't tell the child no because that hurts the child's self-esteem and you're just like what where are you getting that from that doesn't correspond with reality it doesn't make sense and if it doesn't make sense then it's not true okay falsehood does not correspond with reality and why um because our sense of truth guys has been corrupted by the fall and by satan you guys all know that good bible students you know that the fall has affected us. Our, our moral compass, our truth detector, is, is broken. It's broken, but it's not destroyed. It's broken, it's shattered, but it's not completely destroyed. So we can know truth, but it's, that moral compass has been broken. Yet God has given us this, this inward sense of right and wrong. We know deep down in our hearts what's right and wrong. We do. Every single person, not just Christians, unbelievers, know deep down in their heart what's right and wrong. When they're alone, believe me, they know. They know what's right and wrong. But falsehood, what falsehood does, it it helps suppress that inward impulse for truth. Falsehood suppresses that inward impulse. And uh, we allow it to override that still, small voice of God in our hearts. That's what falsehood does. when We allow it to enter into our, our lives. It quenches the voice of God and the truth that comes from him. And it also denies the sovereignty of God. Falsehood denies the sovereignty of God because it removes him from the throne, and we replace him, deciding for ourselves what's true according to our own standards, according to our own experiences, according to our own pleasures. We become the arbitrator of truth and not God. So we remove God off the throne, and we take it over for ourselves, and we decide for ourselves what's going to be true and what's not going to be true this is what falsehood does when it enters into our lives guys this is what falsehood does so that's why it's absolutely necessary that we do not allow these things into our life guys because facts about and it's in your notes facts about absolute truth and how it works itself out in the real world you got to know these facts you got to know facts about absolute truth guys and i want to tell you some really good things about absolute truth so i want you to just pay attention okay this is gonna be, I know you all paying attention, but I'm just used to saying this to church people. Pay attention, pay attention. Church people are always looking around, you know. Uh, you know, I never saw that light before, you know. But I ain't got to do that with y'all, and I appreciate that. So forgive me if I, if I say, okay, you know, pay attention. I know you're all paying attention. The first thing on some of these facts about absolute truth, guys, the first thing is all truth, all truth is knowable. All truth is knowable. Why? Because God wants it to be known. God's not hiding his truth from us, but his truth is literally screaming from the mountaintops. It's literally screaming out, I want to be known. If we want to know truth, truth is there for the taking. We just need to pursue after it and honestly seek it. And when we honestly seek after truth, God will reveal it to us. We're not Gnostics. You all know about Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism with their hidden knowledge then only a few people can have the hidden knowledge of God to dispense it to others at their will. No, God wants everybody to know all his truth all the time. I love that about God. He's not holding nothing back. He's not holding nothing back. All his secrets are out there for everybody to know about. All truth is knowable. Second, every truth is an absolute truth. Every truth is an absolute truth. Every truth, it provides an objective standard, That doesn't vary from individual to individual or times and places or circumstances. Every truth is absolute. What's true for one person is true for all people at all times and all places. It is unchangeable. Three plus three equals six is not just true for math majors. It's true for everybody. The fact that God exists is not just true for theists, but it's true for the atheists also. The fact that Jesus is the Lord and Savior is not just true for Christians. But it's true for everybody. Whether you receive it or not, all truth is an absolute truth, okay? Now, some statements apply to only some people, but the truth of those of those statements apply to everyone. Let me show you what I mean, all right? If I tell you right now that I'm warm, Pastor Mike, right now, is feeling a little hot. I'm feeling a little hot because I'm wearing this goofy sweater, looking ghetto prep, all right? <laughs> I got these lights beaming down on me. These things over here, they're, they're blinding at, at some point. They're beaming down right on my forehead, all right? I'm hot. I'm hot up here right now, all right? But then you might say, oh, but I'm sitting over here, you know, I have this little breeze, it's a little chilly back here. So for me, I'm not hot. But you know what? The statement that I, Pastor Mike Polecki is hot is true for all of you. You understand? <laughs> you understand? If, I, if you come up here and you feel my forehead, you're going to know. Pastor Mike is hot. That's a true statement. And if I go over there and I feel your nose and your ears, you might say, yeah, I'm a little cold. That statement is true for us too. Do you, feel, do you feel what I'm saying here, y'all? Some statements apply to only some people, but those truths or those statements apply to everybody. And that does not negate absolute truth, that every truth is an absolute truth. I told you we were going to get a little deep, didn't we? Talk about noses and heads and sweat and all kinds of stuff. All right, next, guys, all truth is narrow in the sense that it excludes all opposing beliefs. All truth is narrow that it excludes all opposing beliefs. Now, do you all know about the law of non-contradiction? Good. The law of non-contradiction that you already know about states that two opposing ideas cannot both be correct. One or both of those ideas must be wrong. You cannot have two correct statements at the same time that are contradictory. They both cannot be right at the same time. And let me tell you, Christianity is no more exclusive than any other belief system that exists. From atheism to pantheism, anyone who makes a truth claim automatically rejects anyone who denies that statement as true. So when you come up to somebody who says, oh, all truth is relative. What's true for you is not true for me. And you go and you say, I don't believe that. And then they say, no, you have to believe it. Then they have just proved that there is such thing as absolute truth. Uh, we're no more exclusive than those who say that they're tolerant. We're no more exclusive and intolerant than they are. They're not receiving your idea that you say Jesus is the only way. They're not receiving your idea that Jesus is, um, or that, that Christianity is, is the right way, the right path, that the Bible is 100% true. They don't receive that. Okay, they don't receive that. That means that they're as intolerant as you are. Okay, but that's okay, because that we know that all truth, that Christianity excludes opposing systems and opposing belief ideas, and they do the same back to us, okay? So that goes, all truth is narrow in the sense that it excludes all opposing beliefs. Next one, all truth must be approached with humility. All truth must be approached with humility. We got to admit that we don't know everything, and we got to be teachable enough to desire to understand what is not known. All right? Um, yes, truth is absolute. Truth is hundred percent absolute, but that does not mean that our understanding of it is absolute. You know Our understanding of it is finite. We have finite little minds that means that we can know truth but not in its totality. Our minds are not infinite like God. We are not omniscient that we can know everything. So because we know that there's a God who knows everything and we do not. What that does is that when we admit that we need to learn a lot, okay, I got my master's degree in one subject of Christianity, just one subject. There's like 20 different disciplines that you can get a master's degree in. I got one little sliver. Does that make me hardcore? Should I get puffed up because I know one sliver of one section of information? No. What that should do is the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. At the end of your, your time, when you guys graduate, you should realize, you know what? I'm a stinking idiot, you know? When it comes down to it, I ain't got what it takes. That's what, what it does, what that does, guys, and what that does. And I love education. I would never put down education. I think that to be a pastor, you need to have a degree. I do. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no, but the, the disciples didn't have a degree. No, but they stood three and a half years under Jesus, Okay. You stay three and a half un- years under Jesus? No, that's the exception, all right? <laughs> but on a side note, um, what, what that does, what, what that does is that, that creates in us a desire to say, we don't know everything, so we need to follow him who knows everything. When I don't know, I need to lean on the God who knows that my wisdom and understanding is so small and infinite. I need to lean on the one whose wisdom is infinite, who can show me everything that I don't know. Humility brings us to God. So don't think you're all hard and tough because you been over here getting a little degree, all right? <laughs> all right? You just got a little sliver. And finally, every truth that challenges us, every truth challenges us to submit to its demands. Every truth challenges us to submit to its demands, to obey what that truth is telling us. Because you know what, guys? A choice must be made to follow truth or to reject truth. To live out the conclusions that result, or to decide to discard the the truth, create your own rules, and live by your own standards. We all got to figure that out. When truth confronts you in the face, are you going to submit to it, or are you going to run from it? Are you going to try to bury it, or are you going to resurrect it and live with it? We have to make that choice. Truth demands that we either follow it or reject it. There is no, no other way, guys. There is no other way. So, now we saw that to know truth by its definition, and we understand some facts pertaining to truth. Now, finally, I want to look at, to know truth, we must understand its origin derives from God. We got to understand that. So that means that truth is external. Um, It comes from outside our human experiences and outside of our emotions. It does not begin with us. Truth does not start in us. Truth comes from out there. And out there, I mean God himself. He's the originator of truth. It comes from him. It's external, not internal, which means that we don't create truth, but we discover truth. And I want us to look at, we're going to be in John 18, 37, because in this portion, we're going to see how Jesus declares himself to be the God of all truth. Um, And Christ responds to Pilate's questions concerning his identity, and he reveals his person, and his purpose by responding to Pilate, okay? The first half of the verse proclaims his deity and the fact that Jesus is God. Notice he says, he is the king who reigns over the whole universe and in the hearts of believers as the Lord. He's the absolute ruler. By Jesus saying that he is the king, it is a title that only God can have. And by him also saying that he came into the world, shows that he preexisted with the Father and always was. By saying he came into the world, this implies him leaving one place and arriving into another. And we know that from John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. So we know that Jesus was with God, left the Father from heaven and came to earth. And so we know that he pre-existed with the Father. Now the second half of this verse, as the first half proclaims his deity, the second half proclaims his truthfulness. okay? He revealed truth because he is the embodiment of truth, the creator of absolute reality. He's shown the words that through his, the world, that through His words and through His example, that he is the walking, talking, living embodiment of truth. All right? And he was heard. Jesus says, he's heard by those of the truth because everyone who loves truth hears his voice and follows after him. Jesus wants followers not through force, but through conviction, through logic, through reason. <laughs> That's amazing, guys, because that means that we have a religion that wants us to think. It's not, oh, I have faith and I just hope and believe that this is true. We have a thinking religion. He was, the, the followers know truth. They hear truth. They follow after truth. That involves your mind. Amen? To know and process truth involves thinking. So Jesus is saying, my followers are thinking people. If you go to a place, to a church, where they ain't telling you to think, you need to get the heck out of here. All right? He wants thinking Christians. He wants Christians to use their mind. And when you do, that's when Jesus says, you'll begin to follow me. And you'll follow me a lot closer and a lot better when you begin to use this. Amen? Amen. So we see uh, God displays in your notes, God displays his truth in four specific ways, guys. Four ways is that, we, that I know of that God will display his truth. The first is through the person of God. God will display his truth through him. He's the ultimate reality, the creator of all that is real, and therefore he is the ultimate standard of truth. He's the starting point for reality, and he's the basis of all knowledge because he has created everything that has ever existed. Everything that, real, that is real flows from the being of God, flows from his essence. Reality flows from God. Can you imagine that? Truth, reality flows from the being, the essence, the very center of who God is. Oh, man, y'all, don't that get you excited? Because we're getting into, I get excited when I think about these things because what we're doing here is that we're probing into the very core of who God is, not external actions. We're probing to the core of who he is, okay? We're getting to the whole process of the Trinity and what's going on inside. Right? That's what's happening when he's the ultimate standard of reality. And his unchanging nature gives us a certainty of truth that God never grows in his knowledge of the truth And he, because he knows everything that can be known. He has known everything that can be known from the very beginning. And he will never ever gain more knowledge because there is nothing that God does not know and will not know. He has everything present with him in the beginning. Always had. Why? Because everything flows from him. Everything comes from him. That's why he cannot gain knowledge, because everything's coming from him. Everything's coming from him. And the attributes of God show us who God is and what truth is. His essence is displayed in his character. It shows us the standard of moral perfection. We know what love is, holiness, godliness, goodness, joy, because God has shown it to us. That's how we know these things, through God. So through his very essence, we learn truth. Okay? Powerful, exciting, get your hype, boy. Makes me want to fight somebody, you know? Huh? <laughs> Pastor Joe, we're going to have it out after this, bro, because I got too much energy now. We either got to do that or tell somebody about Jesus, all right? Now, the second thing, the second way truth is displayed is through the Son of God, the, through the Son of God. See, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to the world. He shows us a living example of God's character. John 14:9. you all know this verse if you've seen me. Thank you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The ultimate revelation of God is found in Jesus Christ, and he shows us what life was meant to be like, what God always desired for us, but we never could attain. He is that second Adam, the sinless son of man, humanity the way God intended. We look to his teaching and his example as our perfect set of behaviors. We see in Jesus the way God wants us to be, truth. Also, Jesus shows us the way to eternal life, that only through Christ alone can we know how to reach the Father and have a relationship with Him. So we see all these truths that emulate from the person of Christ Himself. Now the third way that we know truth is through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. Loves me some of the Bible. Loves me some of the Bible. See, let me tell you about how we know that the Word of God speaks to us the truth. Because the Word of God has its origin from God, right? We all know that from 1 Peter, right? That the the Bible shows us that it came from, from not from men, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit to reveal us the thoughts and the words of God. That means these inspired men showed us what God intended to say. So the words of the Bible is true because they come from God Himself. He doesn't lie. So that means that our Bible is true. Our Bible is 100%. And it comes from the thoughts and the mind of God Himself. So the Bible shows us that it corresponds to the thoughts of God. And God in his word has revealed his standards and his laws and his biblical principles, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, Paul's ethical teachings. All those show us the way to live out God's truth. That's what it's talking to, how to live out the truth of God. That's the word of God. It shows us the truth of God and how to live that truth out. Amen? Now, finally, fourth way to know the truth of God. It's through his creation, through the creation of God, the creation of God. See, God's creation screams out his power and his glory, Uh, the majesty of a mountain range, the the complexity of the human body, the vastness of the universe. Everything proclaims the truth of God's existence. All of this we notice from Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, that there is man is without excuse about his disbelief in God because God has made himself known. So his truth is known through his creation. That we know everything, or not everything, but we know that God exists through looking at his world, through looking at his creation. God also built into the physical laws, he built physical laws into the universe, guys, the law of gravity, the second law of thermodynamics, the law of motion. All these are examples of God's absolutes built into creation to bring about order. It shows us that the God we serve by looking at these things, is a God of order. It's a God of absolutes. Do you see how we learn these things from creation? We learn something about the character of God, that he's not disorganized, that he's not chaotic. He built these laws into the universe. So through these laws, we can know him. All right. Finally, in, in his creation, is the human witness to God. The human witness to God. See, God relies on the words and testimonies of believers proclaim his truth the truth of his word the truth of his gospel he relies on us to tell other people about his truth he relies on the testimony of you and me what an awesome responsibility because we rate up there with we raid up there with those physical laws we raid up there with the creation of the mountain ranges and the universe we're in there too we're in that mix too we're part of god's created order and he relies on our mouth on our spoken word, to tell people about his truth. Now, are you all ready to do that? I'm ready to tell people about the truth of God. Man, I love the truth of God. The truth shall set me free. All right? And the truth will set other people free. But how will they know unless you go? How will they know unless you tell? You got to tell about God's truth. So now we can know truth by knowing God because everything in existence emulates from him. So now we know some ways which we can know truth in this world that denies truth. We learned some things today, right, guys? And you know what, guys? There's this old Hindu fable about blind men who came upon an elephant and were trying to figure out what it was. Some of you might know this example, okay? The first man, the first blind man, touched the side of the elephant and declared that it was a wall. The second man touched the elephant's trunks and was sure it was a spear. The third man touched the elephant's trunk and said, Without a doubt, this is a snake. The fourth man touched the elephant's table and asserted that this must be a rope. And the fifth man touched the elephant's leg and proclaimed it was a tree. Now this story is told by those people who deny absolute truth to say that none of us can know the whole truth, that all we know is a part of the truth that we can grasp onto, and everyone is right based upon their own individual experiences. That's how the relativists will put it to you. But we can only know what's in front of us, what we can touch and see and feel. But you know what? The only problem is, in the end, the elephant remains an elephant. And these blind men are going to know it's an elephant when it takes two steps and knocks them out of the way. They'll know for sure that that was an elephant. It's a a cute story, guys, but it doesn't show itself out in the actual world. It doesn't show itself in correspondence to reality, the definition of truth. All right? That's what we got to do, guys we got to be able to say, you know what? There is such a thing as absolute truth. There is such a thing as God's truth. There is such a thing. So what would our world look like, guys, if we knew truth and we lived it out the way it should? What if we as God's people said, you know what? I'm going to take truth to heart. I'm going to take his words and his teachings to heart, and I'm going to live it out every day. I'm going to proclaim it the way it should be. That's why I want to leave you here today, guys. Speak the truth and stand up for truth wherever it is challenged, wherever it is challenged. Don't be satisfied, guys, with some truth, but grow in your knowledge of truth. Pursue after it and find it wherever you can go. Never, as Bible students, ever get tired of reading and learning more. Never at the end of your time here say, you know what? I've done God at all. I don't need to know anymore. No, pursue after books. Read those hard books that, you know what I used to have to do? Because I came fresh off the street when I went to school. When I had to read a book, I didn't understand what it was saying, so I had to have a dictionary next to me to interpret the words that I wasn't understanding, which was quite a few. You know, If it takes that to learn truth, do it. If it takes that to discover truth, do it. Then live that truth out when you find it. Live that truth out and speak that truth and stand up for it whenever it's challenged and love all truth because it comes from God. Even those uncomfortable truths, like if you don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will die in your sin and go to hell. It's a unfortunate truth but love that truth why love that particular truth because that shows that god is just that shows that the guilty will not go unpunished love all truth wherever you find truth okay love it guys so you know i'm running i'm running late Uh, i guess i'm I'm running on time i guess but i'm gonna end it short now but i just again i just want to encourage you as you leave this place do not give up on truth continue to fight and push on continue to learn to grow and truth will unveil itself more and more and more to you. I promise you. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, guys. Father God, Lord, I just want to pray for these students here today. I love, Father, that you have brought a group of people together who want to know truth, who are humble enough in their Christian walk to say, you know what, I want to serve you, Lord, but there's some things that I want to know. There's some things that I don't know that I need to know. And they didn't just say, you know what, Pastor Joe, uh, I'll just just hang with you for a few years and then you'll eventually promote me through the ranks. No, they weren't satisfied with just saying, I need experience. They said, you know what, I need knowledge too. Because knowledge plus experience leads to wisdom. So I thank you, Lord, for those here who are pursuing wisdom, who are pursuing truth. And I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that your hand just be upon them that they do not grow tired or weary, Lord God, that when they leave out this place and they receive their degree, Lord Jesus, that they're not satisfied with that either, Lord God, but they continually press on to know more truth, that, Lord, that it's a lifetime endeavor, the pursuit of truth. But what a great adventure it is, Lord God. Every time we discover truth, it is like opening up another treasure chest, Lord. So I ask you, Lord, with all the riches of your truth that you lavish it upon these people here today, that you help them to grow in the knowledge of you and that they live that knowledge out in a world that denies truth. Let them speak it boldly and let them proclaim it from every street corner in this city. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. And we say, amen, amen. Thank you, guys.